0: Uh, let's see, everybody here before, I think all of you have been here at some point. Okay. Um, So I don't have to do too much review, but remember there's what's called a chiastic structure to the eight visions, four and five are at the middle. So that means that three and six pair up two and seven pair up, right? And then one and eight. So guess what you're going to find. Remember, if you remember the first vision, what are you going to find in the eighth vision? Horses. horses! Very good. Horses! Well done, Esther. I'm going to knock something over in the process. I did not know that that was it. <laughs> oh, yeah, we were talk, talking cosmology on Wednesday. What? I did horses. You did say horses, yeah. We're not doing horses today. We're doing flying scrolls. And women in baskets. What? Yeah, I know. Hey, now, remember when we talked about visions, what's often the problem with visions, much like parables? They don't make sense unless... They're explained to you. Unless they're explained to you, yeah, unless you're given to, right? Um, now, some of these parables aren't going to make sense until after Jesus, I, or some of these visions, I think. I mean, in some cases we have the oracle. Remember there's the vision and then the oracle and the oracle, which is usually the messenger of the Lord, the angel of the Lord says... All right, here's what you saw, here's what it means. Um, the first one we're going to look at today, which is the sixth vision, doesn't have such an oracle. We had that with the, I think we had that with the fifth too, didn't we? There was no oracle in the last vision? The last vision was, what did we talk about last? The lampstand with the olive trees?
1: Well, there
0: was... There was a, no, there was an oracle, but it was in the middle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe that Maybe that one, the fifth vision was probably the central vision with the lampstands and the two prophets remember the two olive trees and the oil was going into the into the lamps because it's the word of god that lights the lamps that light up the temple all right so and remember there was also this other theme where we work outward from the world and then into jerusalem and then into the temple and then to the people who serve in the temple make sense all right usually we start turn off the sound system And then you can't hear anything in here. But today, we can hear people talking. There we go. All right. So let's talk about the Flying Scroll. There's two visions in Chapter 5, so we'll try to look at both of them today. God willing, we'll see what happens. So let's do the first one. This one's fun.
1: said to me, This is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. Every thief shall be expelled according to this side of the and every perjurer shall be expelled according to that side of it. I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts, it shall enter the house of the thief, and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. He shall remain in the midst of his house and consume it with its timber and stones.
0: Alright, good. Uh, one of the reasons I pointed out that structure of the eight visions is that it doesn't follow the pattern that you're used to from my teaching or from preaching especially. Because what do, we, what do we never end a sermon on? Law. Correct. You never end on the law, right? You don't leave people with like, now go do this, or you're a terrible person, now go home. Go away now. That's how I should, that's how I should end the sermon. Go away now. <laughs> That'd be perfect. That's all I've got for you today. Go away now. That's a quote from a... Critical Drinker, yeah, on YouTube. If you don't know Critical Drinker. He criticizes movies. He does really well. Um, what are we talking about? Oh, yes. Um, but Hebrew poetry doesn't work that way. Hebrew structure doesn't work that way. It often is this way in the New Testament because they're echoing the Hebrew structure where the gospel is at the middle. And it starts with law and it ends with law. And you're like, well, that's not going to work for us. Um, well, it kind of does. Right. But I think, I think it has to do with this, is that we as Western people especially, we think in linear like direction. Like you start here and you end there. But the Hebrew mind doesn't work that way. You start here, you end there, and you go back to where you started again. And that's a cycle, right? And they're just reflecting on the year, the month, the day, even the hour, right? Morning and noon, or actually evening and morning, evening and morning, right? Dying and rising, baptism, language, right? We've talked about this. I feel like like linear. Yeah. Every year, every season, it's like the same thing every Yeah, I had the question on Wednesday night, like, well, is this the end times? I'm like, yeah, it has been. I'm like, well, what do you mean? It's like, this, this, it's the same end times that were the end times when Jesus ascended into heaven and said, I'm coming back. <laughs> it's like, well, is it worse now? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to judge, right? I mean, I didn't go through World War I. <laughs> but if you were in the trenches in World War One, I, I think you probably would have said it was the end of the world. Right? Mm-hmm. More so than like right now where, you, you know. You've got some people on TV saying that there was a grand uprising and people were storming the castle. Everybody, they're storming the castle with their flags and their their horn horn helmets. Oh, that castle. Yeah, that castle. That's not a castle. Right. It's just like, was that really the end of the... What? No, we're making stuff up now. All right. So uh, why did I bring this up? Oh, yes. So we had this lovely gospel last week and now we're going to back out as we back out into here into really the people all right so we have the people of of jerusalem and and judah Um, we're going to find out about sin again and and there's actually i would argue there's no gospel in this at all hmm all right so you don't want to end there and of course but the book doesn't end there that's the night so even if the visions kind of cycle back to the law then they come out and you actually have the 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 sweetest gospel like by the time you get to chapter 9 and 10 12 so so it's just the visions that function that way, in a Hebrew way. All right, so uh, what is it, how does it start? I turned and raised my eyes. Remember, this is all eight visions in a row, one night. That would be my argument. And I saw a flying scroll. All right, so what's a scroll? Book. It's not a book. Books Books come in the, in the Roman era. Roman bring books, codex. you know, where you bind them together with pages. What do I mean by book? It's a written document, right? But why a scroll? Yeah, it's rolled up. What is it written on? Parchment, right? Probably sheepskin. Yeah, probably sheepskin. Um, we have some. We have some scrolls. There's a. There's actually a very famous Isaiah scroll. Isaiah's pretty long, right? 60 chapters, I think. Right? Something like that. Is that right? 64. 60 chapters. Uh, it's a big book. Um, the whole total size of the scroll, I'm trying to do this from memory, anyway, we have it, it's from 125 BC, so, you know, more than, or something like that, at least hundred years before Jesus, um, the Isaiah scroll is, I have it in the notes here from this commentary, uh, I wish I could remember off the top of my head, my memory's not working, uh, Isaiah scroll, it's a lot smaller, that's what I was going to try to tell you, how small it was, I think it's only twenty one. It's something like eight or no, eighteen inches tall and then like twenty feet long. And then you roll it up. I think that's about the size that it is. I don't know. They have Dead Sea Scrolls. I think there's a complete <laughs> scroll of Isaiah in the, that was amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. There may have been an Isaiah scroll there too. Yeah yeah Um, so that's a very famous scroll it actually is a lot smaller than the scroll that's described here which is described as having 20 cubits and a width of 10 cubits so I don't don't even know how big that is you have to know what a cubit is 35 by 15 that sounds right 35 by 15 so I'm trying to find something into the scale this is a really big scroll No, it's bigger than this wall. Because that's a ten foot ceiling, so you have to think taller than the ceiling line. That's huge. Maybe that's taller than ten feet. That's probably twelve foot ceiling. Yeah. Well, it means that there's a lot of words on it. right? Right, right. And what are the words that are written on it? One side. Calm down, man. On the one side, Ethan's right. Actually, very specific curses, right? On one side, thieving, right? And on the other side, lying. Yeah, perjury on the other side. Lying and purging. Um, Yes, and it is a curse, and it goes over the face of the whole earth. It is kind of like Revelation with the flying scroll. right? But there's something about this scroll because it's so outrageously large. Oh yeah, it says right on the sheet, 30 feet by 15 feet. I could have just looked there. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean it's the size of a billboard. You're right. You're right because it's flying in the sky. Well, it have to be that big so you could read it. That's a good point. <laughs> right, right. So you can drive by. Um, this is a this is a scroll of judgment, and I, maybe we should talk about what the, what the difference is between the words on one side and the words on the other side. So we've got. Um, thieving, right? I shall. It shall enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. So you have these two houses and you have these two broad sins, right? Now, what commandments do we attach thieving to? What you shall not steal, which is commandment number... Yeah, 9 and 10, coveting leads to thieving, so there it If you, you desire it in your heart, you've always already stolen it, in effect, right? The commandment, too, because you're kind of stealing, stealing your neighbor's family. wife. Very good. What right about 6th commandment? Yeah. Yeah. What? Why? Oh, that's neighbor's wife. How about 8th commandment?
1: 8th and 2nd would be... That would be uh, like stealing reputation.
0: Stealing their reputation. I agree with Gabe. I think you're right. It does kind of connect to both, but... That second commandment. Yeah, I think I think this is the totality of the law. Your sheet doesn't say that, but I, th- I think that's probably the case. Because perjuring or lying, it could be connected to the eighth commandment bearing false witness. Um, but I think it has more to do with lying about God, bearing false witness to God. Second commandment, misusing his name, having other gods. More often
1: than not any of them believes breaking
0: all of Yeah, that's true too right but you have the totality of the law and and the accusation of the law against the people are there just a few words that need to be said <laughs> no there's there's more words than even like by order of magnitude more multiple orders of magnitude more than even what's written in the in the words of Isaiah the Pro- the great prophet right so pretty significant welcome you have to sit in the front row yeah. teachers pet you got you even got your Apple <laughs> thanks all right um, hmm, let's see. What else do we want to say about that? All right, the message. What's the message? What's going to happen to them? It shall remain in the midst of the house and consume it, right? Uh, we have a problem with God who judges. <laughs> we don't like it. No, no, we don't. But we need to talk about this a little bit. Um, you got some heavy theology today, a little bit in the sermon. You got to hear, heard about the locus classicus, right? That's the, the central doctrine for bat, for the Holy Trinity is the commission to baptize in Matthew 28, right? Just like the Catechism teaches you. You already knew that. You just didn't know it was called the locus classicus. <clears throat> now you do. I've said it how many times now? Maybe you'll remember. Was locus classicus. Cla- the center. Locus center. The focus. Yeah. Locus focus. Hocus pocus. <laughs> focus focus. Focus. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The locus classicus for the classical the central words for the Lord's Supper are the words of institution, right? Yeah. Um, absolution, whoever sends you forgive, they forgive him. John 20, right? Just think the catechism, right? So here, um, we, need to, we need to learn some more heavy theology. You ready? Okay. Opus, you know what opus means? Latin? I should know. He's a music musician. Yeah, that's used in music. That's true. People have different opus numbers for their different works. That's correct. Opus means work. So, opus number, organ maker builders do this too. They'll number their organs, opus one, opus two, opus three, I think. Yeah, it's their work accomplishment. I should do this. I should opus number the coffees that I roast. <laughs> <laughs> eh, too much work. Too much work and nobody would care. Um, okay, so opus. Now, God has work, and as you heard in the sermon a little bit today, uh, especially in regards to Jesus and you definitely heard it in the hymns during distribution uh, which are were far stronger by the way I always have people who love this day because we sing all the Trinity hymns um, half of which are terrible and they love them I'm sorry
1: that's the creedal yeah, like hymn
0: yeah okay well you guys are geeks no I mean people love holy 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 but it never actually speaks of Jesus or what he does. So it's at least mediocre, if not terrible. <laughs> it tells you a lot about God, but it never actually has God doing anything. Well, I shouldn't say it never has any. It doesn't have him doing the work that he wants to be known to you by, which is forgiving your sins. It speaks of mercy, I think, in one stanza. Right? And the last hymn is kind of that way too, although not quite as poorly. Right? But then you get a hymn like, um, you know, which everybody knows, 571, that was the first distribution hymn, which is based on John 3.16, etc. Right? For God. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the lost to save. Like, whoa, finally. Uh, Jesus in the hymns, right? All right. Uh, and this is important because God, that's how God wants to be known by you. And our dogmaticians, this is, a, this is actually, it's in our Lutheran confessions. So this, I have to actually agree with this or I've already said that I already agree with it. I put it that way. I don't have to agree with it, but if I didn't agree with it, I'd have to leave. <laughs> All right, there's two opuses. Opus, anybody know? Alienum and opus proprium. Oh, okay, these are fun. You like Latin, right? All right, alien, you see alien in there? Alien, meaning different, doesn't belong to God, actually. It's alien to God. All right, so what's the work that's alien to him? Uh, judgment against sin, death, right? Condemnation, accusation, suffering, pain, misery, all the things that, um, that we receive because of our sin. The proper work of God, proprium, proper, see the word proper in there? The proper work of God is to forgive sins, to show grace, mercy, steadfast love, kindness, right? How does God want to be known? By you. By his proper work, namely through his son Jesus Christ who died. He was crucified for you and died for you. Does he want to be known by you by his alien work? No. No. It kind of makes it sound like it's alien to God. It's
1: work that he doesn't want to
0: do. Yeah, exactly. It's outside of his will. He does it. I mean, it is out, it is within his will, but he does. It. You would say it this way: It's like uh, it's like a parent, right? Parents with children. It's like I don't want to. I don't want to do this to you, but I have to. Right? I don't want to ground you or whatever. How else, no. so you how else are you going to learn? Right. Well, actually, it's funny because that's actually how God interacts with us too.
1: Well, I'm really
0: in I, well right. No, this is an important point, actually. Um, God's alien work is out of his love as much as his proper work. Um, it's something about... Uh, well, it's just forgiveness, right? I mean, how can you forgive that which is not confessed? You can't. But how are you going to confess unless you know your sin? Does God want to point out your sin? Does he love to show you your sin? No, he loves you so much he wants us
1: to
0: recognize. Yeah, so he, I mean he has to do it. But it's never the end unto itself. That's why it's the alien work. It only the alien work only leads to the proper work. So he preaches the law to you in order to call you to repentance, to receive the God who he want, how he wants to be received by you, which is in forgiveness, in love, and mercy, and grace, and peace, right? All right? So that's an important distinction. Because here, uh, which God, are we, which which work are we meeting from God here? It shall remain in the midst of his house and consume it with its timber and stones. Yeah, yeah. Patrick, you're cold. <laughs> You can wear my jacket. All right, fine. You could turn the fan off too. People are so demanding. All right. Yes, consuming, right? Expelling. Every thief will be expelled. Every perjurer will be expelled and consuming. Sometimes I think people think that God is kind of bipolar. <laughs> well, you know, some people he hates and he just casts them out and they're dead, and then some people he loves and he saves, and we don't know what the, don't, what the difference is. What's the difference? Those who believe and those who reject. It's pretty
1: simple. Wait, so God doesn't choose to <coughs> people? He preaches
0: for to <coughs> all people. Keep going. Keep going. This is fun. Yeah, exactly. He desires all men to be saved. Yeah, that's his proper work. Um, why some choose not to save—that belongs to the mystery, mystery of election. All right. God calls all all people to salvation, whether they receive it or not, but um, well, is actually a mystery. Why some believe and some don't—we don't have an answer to that. All right. But he desires all to be saved. He doesn't want to damn anyone. I always point this out, you know, a di- very key distinction. Huh. Hell has been prepared for unbelievers? What does the Bible say? Hell was prepared for, <clears throat> for the devil and his angels. That's right. Does God de- want to send anyone to hell? No. That's actually foreign to him. It's only out of necessity that he does it for those who don't believe. And that's not until the last day. Right? God, the Scripture also is clear that he delays the day of judgment for the sake of repentance. Okay. Um, all right. So this is important because when we're reading this, we're like, oh man, this is not the God I wanted to meet. He sounds pretty terrible. Well, I mean, he's actually completely justified in his actions. I mean, they're thieves, right? And they're perjurers. So do they deserve to be expelled or to be des- their houses to be destroyed? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would be just. Uh, We talked about this on the Band Books podcast this week. If you listen to it, I put it in the email this because I thought it might be helpful for you. But we talked about this and that. You know what? I mean, what kind of law is it when it's not actually enforced? It's not a law at all. That's correct. That's right. Or when it's selectively enforced only against your enemies and not for your friends, that's still not a law, right? It's no longer just. To be just, it would actually you finish the coffee. Oh,
1: man. Technically, I did.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Yeah. So, so I mean, justice, justice is a quality of God. Um, this is very important when we talk about our sin. Um, does God take away the penalty of your sin? No. Yes. Yes, he does. Right. But does, does he just say, well, you know what? The law just doesn't apply to you. Is that how he does it? Is no. that the mechanics of it? No. What's he say? The law still applies to you, but what happened to it? Where has he put the penalty? On Jesus. on Jesus. That's correct. Right. So the full weight, what, the penalty that is owed for you with no leniency is put on his son. And so the pardon that you have received is because Jesus suffered the penalty for you. And if the penalty is suffered, then you don't, have to suffer it. Um, I don't know. Is there, are there times where you can do this, where you can take somebody's sentence and and serve the time for them? Right. I know. I mean, you've seen it in movies, right? We see it in stories all the time. I'll take their place. I always think hundred games, the first the first book slash movie, where um, it's pretty vivid in there. Where she yeah, where she volunteers as tribute in place of her sister, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah yeah so she volunteered I mean because it is it is its tribute but it's actually it's a, it's a sacrifice right so I'll be the sacrifice in place of her it's a beautiful atonement story right so uh, let's see what else do we want to talk about unless here you unless you win the game yeah I know well okay. the movie kind of a...
1: all
0: right so let's talk about the 10 by 20 um, right we said it was what 15 by 30 feet Um, This strange dimensions. Although there are things in the temple that measure either ten or twenty cubits.
1: Was that the temple
0: curtain? Mm, I don't remember the temple curtain. the The wingspan of the cherub each was ten cubits, and so then wing when their wings touched, touch that'd be twenty cubits in total over the ark. Yeah, those were really big cherubs. We think of the little cherubs like precious moments you put on your shelf. No, no, these are, these are massive. They were wood overlaid with gold. And they were, yeah, they were 10 feet by 10 feet. So they're 15 feet tall and wide with their wings sticking out. And there were two of them. Yeah, they look scary. Well, they were, over, they were spanning over it.
1: Yeah.
0: What? In the Holy of Holies, right. Not, not over, not, not over, over the Ark of the Covenant, over the ark. the ark. Not the ones on the Ark, but the ones in the holy place over the Ark. Yeah, the, one, the Ark itself wasn't that big. Yeah, there were two cherubs in there with their wings touching. Right. It's replicated on top of the Ark on the mercy seat too. Um, let's see, are there other ones? Solomon's portico was 20 cubits by 10. We know Solomon's portico. That was the por- front porch. This is where, uh, who was preaching on Solomon's portico? The apostles did. After the, Jesus, also did. Jesus did too. Yeah, so it was this. It was a teaching spot. Yeah, so it was this big, like, big porch at the top of the stairs before you go into the, the, the court, out in the front. Solomon's portico, you know, a hangout place. This is like the the Narcic's. fifteen by thirty. No, not maybe not quite. It's got a tall ceilings so. though. All right, so that's another one. And then I think it was the altar of incense was 10 cubits, if I remember right. So that would be another, or the bronze altar. Yeah. Uh, it was, actually, the bronze altar was 20 cubits by 10 cubits as well. See, Second Chronicles 4. So we have all... So it's an outrageous size, and I think theologically, it's because there's so much thievery and perjury happening. All right, so you could go there. But you could also see this is connected to the temple. And what have they... what. Did, what have they not done? They haven't, they haven't built the temple, right? So it's indicating that they're, in a sense, they're, thie- they're thieves and they're liars because they haven't done what God has given them to do. They've stolen God's time, and, which he has blessed them with, etc. Like yeah, neglect is, is a ni- another kind of theft, right? Um, like if you're at work and you just don't do anything, you just sit around. Uh yeah, you know that you have people that work for you sometimes, right? Yeah. If they just sat around not working, you'd be like, you stolen. You stole it from me. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. Uh, Now the, the sheet suggests that this was good news for the people that all the thieves and those who swore falsely would be banished. Right. Exactly. So I'm not, I'm not totally on board with that question. Um, I don't, I mean, what they do, you're going to see this in the next vision. It, it's taken away from them if it's, abo- if it's consumed, right? If it's destroyed, it is taken from them. So it's no longer there unless they're the thief and the perjurer and then they're the ones being consumed and destroyed. Yeah. Um, ultimately, this, though, this will happen. Uh, this is a vision of, of the last temple, right? The temple of Christ's body where there is no, Thieving and perjury, and there's no—you've um, made my den, my my house, a den of robbers, right? Jesus ends that when he destroys it, and then remakes. Or actually, the temp, the final culmination of the temple is in his body, right? So, um, sorry—I always forget—it goes to sleep. Is it going to come back? Oh, it did. Good. Um, you know, finally, the New Testament church. The last, you know, the church of, of the resurrection will have no thieves and murderers in it and, and perjurers and all of that. So maybe it has that in mind, too. So maybe that's a little gospely. y um, Then you have this interesting picture, right? Because you have, the, that you have both the thief and the perjurers being expelled. All right. Uh, hmm, is there an Old Testament picture of something being expelled, sent out? okay they were sent out of the garden right because they how you know lest they dare to eat of the tree of life and live in sin forever right I had a different one in mind being expelled I would say the, the sins of the world were put on it and then are the sins of the nation and then it was sent out yeah the scapegoat was sent out uh, it was good for their sins to be carried away from them into the wilderness right yeah so so there is, a, there is a goodness to that being taken away. Um, and th- there's a note here on your sheet about the Hebrew word. Well, we haven't gotten to this yet, which is wickedness. comes up with these ladies, so we should hold on to that. Uh, why don't we look at the next one? Because you have some similar themes here. I think, I think uh, six and seven kind of go together the same way that two and three went together, as far as visions. So let's listen to this one. Um, you'll see some similar things here. Who wants to read Patrick.
1: Then the angel who talked with me came out and said to me, Lift your eyes now and see what it is that goes forth. So I asked, What is it? And he said, It is a basket that's going forth. He also said, This is the resemblance throughout the earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up, and this is a woman sitting inside the basket. Then he said, This is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket and threw the lead for her. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings. They had wings, like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. Sorry. Uh, and so you? I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me, to build a house for it in the land of China. When it is ready, the basket will be set there on its base.
0: Okay. So, I was a little of myself, right? so now we have the angel actually coming out and talking to me, right? So the angel being the angel messenger. We've established this is, we're still in that same heavenly throne room vision with all the people standing around and the, the angel being Jesus, pre-incarnate Christ speaking and doing, giving the visions, the oracles of the visions. All right. So the angel talked to me and said to me, lift up your eyes now and see what go, that this is that goes forth or yeah what this is that goes forth what is it it's a basket <laughs> all right so what about baskets oh it tells you at the top literally an ephah or ephah of which is three three-fifths of a bushel this one must have been enlarged why why would they say that either the big. basket was really big or the woman was really small I actually prefer to go the other way, that the woman was very small because she's an idol. Fashioned with hands. Yeah, yeah, right? Well, I don't know. Why would you have to make the basket bigger? Just make the woman smaller. <laughs> all right, either way. It's a vision, right? It doesn't always make sense. Um, and notice that she has a name. Her name is wickedness, right? So she's personifying uh, you know, all of the wickedness of the people. And this is a beautiful thing because it's being carried away to where? Shinar, which is another name for Babylon. Yeah, now they've already come back from Babylon, but their wickedness is going to be taken away to Babylon. Now, I mean, I suppose you could make a little bit of this and you say, wait a minute, why would God send wickedness to Babylon? That's mean. I
1: think it would be that the idols that they brought back with them, send
0: them back. Send them back to where they came. Yeah, that's right. Right? This is we see this happen all the time. The people come out of Egypt, what do they bring with them? The idols. They've got little Anubises, you know, their little Anubis statue and their little I don't know, if somebody met. Do they
1: even have
0: tarouette? Tarouette. Yeah, the, the little the pregnant, hippo? The pregnant hippo, they got a little pregnant hippo statue, right? Right. The Egyptian gods are pretty cool. As far as false gods go. Right? Same thing happens when they come out of Babylon. They bring back the, the false gods with them. Um, same thing happens when they go into Canaan. Over and over and over, what do they have to keep dealing with? What do the people have? They have little, they have little bales and asherahs and they make calves and they... And
1: they keep doing
0: it. I mean, it's the first commandment, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think we've gotten a lot more clever about our idols today. We don't necessarily form them into little statues and set up little altars to them. That doesn't mean we don't have idols and they don't have names. Right? Yeah,
1: they might be ideologies
0: or... Choice. Yeah, yeah choice is an idol. It's, it becomes a little God. Like we should... I'm free to do whatever I want any old time. Isn't that how the song went? No. That's not how life works. It's not how life works? Well, I mean, you can do, do whatever you
1: want, but <laughs> <just laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, Let's see, what else do you know about Shinar? The land of an infamous for its rebellion against God. So Genesis 11. It keeps coming up over and over. Shinar, the plain of Shinar, what do they build? A tower called Babel. Also known as Babylon. Yeah. This is, is, it reminds me a lot of Jericho, right? The walls fall down. God says, "Don't dare build it again, or you're gonna—it's gonna be at the cost of your son's life, right?" And so, what do they do? They build it. Yeah, whatever. I mean, it's—it's it's really a great place to build a city, though. I mean, right at the entrance into across the Jordan into the Promised—that's mean, where you, you want a city there. God says, "Don't do it." And they're like, eh, whatever." And then he loses his son. Yeah, well, I forget who—who who rebuilt it. All right, so yeah, Shinar. Hmm. What else does it say there? First Peter, oh, it's, a, it's the capital city of wickedness. So um, you know that in uh, Revelation in particular, it's all over the place. Babylon is it's the great whore Babylon, is what John calls it. it it's, uh, what do you say, prototypical, or it's a representative of, of all evil. Um, I think it's also kind of interesting that the Bible often refers to um, cities as evil which resonates with you all who don't live in big cities probably, right? I mean, those of you in Plymouth, sorry. <laughs> it's a big city. It's the Plymouth Row. Yeah. yeah. There's so much before this, well, I know it comes back later
1: Right. as a uh, representation of uh, all Egypt
0: is hell right Egypt's like hell Babylon's the great city right which is also um, why uh, Babylon today is responsible for uh, refining most of uh, the uranium for the world secretly has been for about 50 years all sorts of backroom deals there to yeah they you know it's why does Iran not generally get a... Why do they get generally, you know, hands off? There's all this talk about doing things. No, yeah, we'll just regulate you and what we'll that... Hmm. They're Well, the people in power have a lot of money, yeah. All right. All uh, right, let's see. What do they do with this? Okay, so we got this little basket going forth. And the resemb, this is their resemblance. And there, there's a lead disc. Lead, I don't think this is not like a, Atomic Age. It's just like... Protecting it from radiation. No, it's just heavy, right, lead? Yeah, heavy. A heavy disc, and there's a woman sitting inside the basket. A wee little woman who's named Wickedness. And then I just love what he does. It's just like in a cartoon. You push her down into the basket and put the lid on. Yeah. You thrust her down in the basket through the lead cover over its mouth. Right? Um, And then you have two women who are kind of interesting-looking. I'm trying to think of a, somebody famous. famous, you know, tall and skinny, and have, they look like storks because they're so spindly. Like Leah. I'm just I'm joking. Oh, but you don't have wings. Right? So this is kind of the inverse of that famous, you know, the stork myth that you grew up with where the stork brings the baby. This is the, the two storks, they take away the wickedness in the basket. Maybe you think of children as wickedness, I don't know, in a basket. I idea that
1: this is where people get the idea that... I don't know.
0: Women. I don't know. So
1: they
0: have, stork. Yeah. So we have the Yeah, so we have these stork women carrying them off to Babylon, right? And uh, I think, it's, so I think it's, it's more of this language, is that Babylon is representing... Hell, right, which is where all sin and death is consigned finally on the last day, right? And uh, I mean, the, the reality is just like we heard from Isaiah 6 today, like Isaiah cannot be God's prophet, he can't go about speaking God's word until the coal touches his mouth. And, and remember what the angel said? What it what, yeah, what, what were the words? Behold, this. Your sin is, yeah. I'm trying to do it from memory. It's not working. My memory is broken today. Somebody reboot me. There's no on-off switch. Yeah, there it is. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. So this is the calling of Isaiah to be prophet. He's up into heavens of heavens. Some. Given some kind of vision, it's hard to know exactly what happens, but it seems to be quite physical because, right? And I always think of, I always think of uh, myself, but you as well, in the sacrament. The Lord touches your lips, and what happens? Your sins are taken away, right? As his body and blood comes, are put on your lips, on your tongue. Uh, and, but then the consequence is the same. Remember, we sing this song, Holy, Holy, Holy. Where is that? I always skipped over it. There it is. We sing that in right before you receive the sacrament. What's the consequence for Isaiah having his sins taken away? Then he is commissioned to speak. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, "Here I am. am I send me. Go and tell this people." Yep. Well, we don't want to read what he has to tell them, <laughs> right? Uh, the same thing happens with us. He loosens our tongues to confess his name, right? He does it by taking away our sins. Many in various ways, each, each service. So that, like, you can say to someone, what do you believe? I believe. And they're like, well, why do you believe that? Because God said it. Well, how do you know it's true? Well, I don't know a lot, actually. I only know that Jesus died and rose from the dead on the third day, like he said he would. And uh, no, nah, I'm going to take him seriously because of that, right? And a lot of it is mystery. That's fine. You can go there. So it does remind me of this. It's like, no, your sin has to be taken from you, for you. It has to be taken away from God's people in order for them to serve faithfully, or rather be served faithfully in the temple. Make sense? Yeah, so it's, that, it's, kind, it's a kind of atonement, right? Now, I said it's all law and there's no gospel, but I do think there's like a backspin to this, right? Well, if wickedness is taken away from God's people and the temple has been rebuilt and the lights are lit and the word is being preached, uh, that sounds like church, right? It's just the order of things is backwards for us because we think, well, the sin, that would have happened before we heard the word preaching. Well, no. It comes after. But, hmm, anything else there? Yeah. I mean, the lead disc is pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's like her kryptonite, right? She can't get out of the basket. Uh, Baskets are interesting, too. I don't think it tells you anything on your sheet. Um, uh, baskets are often used for, uh, in the, in the minor prophets. So the book of the 12 in particular, um, baskets are signs of, oh, they're used for, for evil purposes. I know we don't think of it that way, but like hide it under a bushel. No. Yeah. Moses was saved through that basket. Right. No, oh, that's a good point. The basket was an ark. Right. Um, let's see. So sometimes connected to sinful commercial uses in Amos and Micah. Hmm. So just like we saw in the last vision, where we had the scroll having the evil on both sides, right? Um, here's dis- this might be linked to dishonest business practices. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Uh, so we had before we had lying and we had thieving, and now we have dishonesty in the particular in, in dealing. And dealing with people, maybe economic stuff. That's how Amos uses it. So it could be, um, but I do think, who was it? Gabe said earlier. You know, what's the what's the prophet or what's the vision rather driving the prophet to realize? Is that all are sinful, right, and fall under the judgment of God, and unless God removes that from them, they remain in their in their in their sin. So you might even say what's happening here is these two stork women. <laughs> imagine that um these two women like storks or storks like women uh, they're the they're the uh, uh there's uh, patrick 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 i have a question for you patrick now he's hiding what comes what are the big things we put out in front of the house and then the truck comes and takes them what is that Garbage. the garbage truck yeah mm-hmm. He always watch, he always wants to know what day the garbage is it the garbage truck day he always watching for the garbage truck and then when it comes he gets scared and then when the garbage <laughs> truck comes <he's>, he hides <laughs> they're taking out the garbage <laughs> yeah the garbage They're garbage people garbage persons yeah you have to be gender neutral i guess anyway yeah they're carrying, they're taking out the garbage right which is uh, this, the this very particular Sin of the people. I think that's maybe a way you could understand this. So even though it's not explicit in that regard that it's gospel, I still think it's good. You know, and like um, I think it was Don pointed out, I mean, forgiveness of sins means it's taken away, right? And it is consigned to destruction. And then we talked about our sin being put upon um, Jesus. Um, This this sinful woman, maybe, yeah, we can do just a little bit on this. I don't want to go too much longer. I have to go to this district thing. Mm Mm-hmm. If I sound excited about it, no, it's fine. I just, I overcommit. So I'm doing, I'm displaying, I have a coffee booth, so I have to be there early to finish setting it up. Anyway, uh, one of the seven angels, oh, we, we should note this. Um, John borrows a lot of the imagery from Zechariah and Ezekiel and Daniel and others, right? He And Amos and Haggai. He borrows the same imagery it doesn't mean that you can take how John understands it and then import it back into Zechariah. He's not interpreting Zechariah, but he's borrowing an image and then he's either expanding it or he's using it in a new way. We'll see this with the horses because we talked about that when we looked at the horses with the first vision. All right. Uh, but anyway, we have a woman here. Um, she's even more impressive here than a little woman in a basket with a lid uh, who had seven bulls came and talked with me, saying to me, come and I will show you judgment... Of the great harlot, we could call her name wickedness, right? Yeah, who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. Oh, that sounds like our kings, good. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Yeah, I know this language, this is not kid-friendly, I suppose. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. You think, you think Zechariah is weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And then look at this. And on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. So Zechariah has this picture of, her, of this little woman in a basket. And then by the time of the final judgment here, yeah, she grew up. Yeah, she devours. She devours those who worship her, and it just makes her larger. She's like uh, there was an old lady who swallowed it, right? Do you remember the book? She ended up dying in the end, but she, yeah, okay, she popped. Yes, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. Kind of. And with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Yeah. Um, it's actually that she's got, she's got their blood on her lips and she's got their flesh in her teeth. Yeah. Yeah. So John really takes this picture and runs with it, right? Why do you marvel, the angel said to me. I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her. Oh, thank goodness. Uh, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. Hmm, The beast. Notice, consigned to destruction, to hell. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. So, I mean, it's... Satan, who's been judged, who is not, but it yet is, until he's not. <laughs> That's confusing, right? Uh, oh, boy. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are seven kings. Have you ever heard uh, the White Stripes song, Seven Nation Army? Mm-hmm. That's where it comes from. That's what it's about. Yeah, There's always seven nations. Global. Anyway. This is globalism. Oh, boy. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when it comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not in himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. All right. Oh, shoot. I didn't mean to do that. Uh, It keeps going and going and going. And then, of course, this is the part you want to hear. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was illuminated with his glory, meaning he is Jesus. Good. Good. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon, the greatest fallen, is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of wrath of her fornication. I mean, this is the judgment, right? The last judgment. Uh, The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Right? You don't know people who have actually like... Enrich themselves through deceit and lies. Never. No. Yeah, and that's that's the thing about revelation prophetically is it's not necessarily one to one correspondence to something in particular. But you're right, um, history doesn't really repeat itself, but it rhymes. Right, I've heard that expression. I like it. Yeah, this is true of every era since Christ has ascended. There's there's always a great Babylon until the last day. But notice it's until the last day. I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. right, so this is always the problem. Be careful what you wish for. right, so so you want to live in wickedness? God will heap more wickedness on top of you, all right? Think of like the prodigal son, though. I mean, uh, it's a great story to show. Like, he becomes increasingly wicked until just, that's all he has left. And actually, it's destroyed him to the point where the only word that he can think of is the, wor- the, the word of his father. Come back to me, right? Or, you know, that his father was good. That his father forgives, right? So he is going to pull out of her, right? But he does it. Notice he does it here through his alien work by heaping upon them more and more of what they want. Not everybody's going to leave, but some will. Um, And she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. But the world will mourn Babylon's fall. The great whore. you're like, what? Oh, well. There's all sorts of stuff. You can read this on your own. It's a fun book. But you can see how John picks up on, oh yes, that little woman in the basket is sent off, and then... She ends up being this devouring thing until the last day, until the judgment day. That's how he runs with it. It's kind of fun, right? Yeah. Uh, One more thing to look at, because we need some gospel, more gospel. 1 Corinthians 5. Let's just look at that. It's the last thing on your sheet. Uh, Again, this has to do with that desolation. 5 verses 6 through 8. Okay, I went too far. You guys have problems? All right. Right. Yeah, exactly. So the question is deceiving. This, I, I pointed this out to you, right? Who's the subject of the sentence? Who's the one doing the verb? It says we purge. We yeah. Can do that. How can we purge our lives of sin? So let's actually read what 1 Corinthians 5, 6 8 says. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven. <laughs> that you may be a new lump, since you are truly our leaven. So who's the implied subject there? Yeah. Is it? Keep reading. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us, therefore let us keep the feast. Who purges out the old leaven? Christ our Passover. Remember the Passover sacrifice is what proclaimed forgiveness of sins. You always want to take, you're always trying to take control of things. And no, Jesus is the one. Let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, like the two sides of the scroll or the little woman in a basket, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That is, who's the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth? Jesus. Whose feast is it? Jesus' feast, right? Who purges out the old leaven? Jesus. Who makes us a new lump? Create me a clean heart, O God. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Right before that, it said, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. It's always Jesus. Anyway, we always want to take control of the verbs. Don't do that. Right? God has rid the church of sin and unbelief, banishing wickedness forever. In Jesus. In Jesus. All right? So even though Zechariah 5, both of those little visions, they don't seem to have a lot of gospel. I think they do. I think they do. Um, You might say it's implicit, right? It's not explicit. Your sins are forgiven. But... That which brings sin upon you, your temptation, the woman of wickedness, or the the judgment, it's taken away.
1: Also, like you said, uh, how can you become contrite and repent of your sin if you don't know it? Correct. But you have to have
0: sin upon you. Right. And notice, it's God's alien work, but yes, he does consume your house. He does destroy you. (laughs) Right? But he doesn't kill you to leave you dead. But to... is a good joke. Just like Job, yeah. Yeah, Job is an interesting book. I was thinking about that this morning. It's funny you bring it up. Because um, Job, it's very long, but it really is a description. This is how the, the Jews understood it, and I think we should too. It's a description of the Christian life, of the life of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Yeah? Until he's finally like almost destroyed. There's nothing left of him. But he makes that confession, like Job 19, although there's a lot of chapters after that. I know that my Redeemer lives, and on the last day I will, see, I will see him. In my flesh, I will behold my God, and not another. My heart faints within me. Right? And then the restoration of Job in the end, which is a picture of the resurrection, I think, where it's restored to him double, all that he lost at the beginning. <laughs> Noises. Yeah, so Job is a, I mean, it's, it's excruciating but but I think in the, in that way it's really helpful for us. Maybe we need to do a little bit more thoughtful consideration of it, because uh, I think sometimes we think of our lives a little bit as excruciating. I look at Tim, right? Dealing with this stuff, it's like you just want you just want it to be done, right? And be healed. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then you read Job, and you're like, yeah, that's kind of how it goes, <laughs> sometimes, right? It just keeps going and going. It's one thing on another and. Um, But we can take comfort knowing that God has promised to deliver us, if not now, in eternity, right? Like he did with Job. So, Yeah, sometimes it seems to just go on for years, and it's been years. Yeah, decades or more. Of course, I look at our old folks, and they walk into church every Sunday. And our (laughs) our steps are really helpful to kind of remind me that it's not getting easier for them. It just gets... You have a lift, I know, but it gets harder and harder and harder. And eventually they just have to use the lift, Yeah, you much know, like hmm. But there is that promise of the resurrection, so he will take it away from us eventually. All right, good. So let's close with prayer then. We'll look at uh, Zechariah 6 next, which is the last bit. I wanted to leave it off because there's a lot going on in that one. All right, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your son Jesus um, to cleanse us of our sins, to take away from us the old leaven, to purge us of all uh, thievery and perjury, um, to remove the woman of wickedness from our life, and to cast her into Babylon where she'll be destroyed. Um, We ask that you comfort us and show us that your proper work is always uh, not simply to reveal our sin uh, as an end to itself, but rather that sin is revealed to us that we would be driven back to your son Jesus for forgiveness each and every day. Uh, May God grant us in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Amen.
0: Welcome. Patrick, why'd you make me close the windows? It got hot. (laughs) We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church, Sherman Center